0: like last year, well, I guess the last two years we got drawn for Kansas, mm-hmm. but I think it was the year your video came out or something. or We didn't get drawn. Like way to go, Chris <laughs> asshole, you know, and it, uh, just joking. Right. But yeah. <laughs> but <it's>, Seriously. <laughs> but yeah. Seriously though. But it's what
1: it so, was. It was a 30, 30% increase, 30% tag increase. All because of Chris B's video. I we gotta know. I tell you, man, I do. It could have uh, been, it could have <laughs> been. Yeah.
2: They're definitely not. In-
0: Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been you know trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting
2: career a little shorter than yours but the minute that i started or that i you know i realized that i could get deer grow back into some of these remote plots where i couldn't get lime or fertilizer especially in the 50 pound bag you know format mm-hmm. so everything was changed you know i could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer and that since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and
0: i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at dot com. and we're back Hey-o. Episode oh jeez. See I'm already off. Hunter Podcast episode <laughs> with Jared and I've been like shooting commercials all day. Uh,
2: like trying to remember a format. I'm like, this is why we don't prepare for yeah. stuff. So but anyways, as always, remember to like, follow, subscribe, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or
0: wherever you like to listen. Simple as that. Uh it is July sixth. Happy yeah. post fourth of July. Yeah. Let me catch up with yeah. For anyone anyone listening in England. Hope you had a great work day. <laughs> Suckers. Suckers. <laughs> uh, yeah, world champs. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we win. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, still, it's crazy, man, to think about it. So we um, we've been, there's a lot happened in the last week. Well, we've been we've been
2: road tripping. Been yeah, busy. my
0: that's probably why my brain's still dragging a little bit. We've been to, a little bit of stress still prolonging from that. Yeah, we've been to Illinois twice in the last week. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> two trips. The, yeah, we had to get permission for the first one. The second one was from the wives, anyways. Was a like, please we yeah, ha- we have to we have to go back. So yeah, two out and back driving trips in the last week to Illinois, uh, looking at farms. Hopefully they they turn out to be worth it. We're working hard on it. Yeah, so um, cool to be out. I mean, hot, humid, but, you know, starting to feel like when we got into some of those farms, you know, starting to visualize the buckiness around them, Mm. you know. And so, uh, yeah, for, I mean, a couple of Western Pennsylvania guys, like, you know, that was a great escape. To get out there
2: well dude we we every time we go out it seems like we really embrace the you know as great as it would be to live where the deer are like man would that be way way more convenient it's like Mm -hmm. every time we want to go out and get into one of those environments it's just nine ten hours Mm -hmm. you know for us to drive out there and but but we when that does happen i think we fully embrace the man we don't get to be here
0: very often and so Mm -hmm. we just soak it all in while we're there we're just out there binging yeah even on the drive like uh, admittedly i think we both listen to our podcast over again on occasion when we had I time oh, yeah. but the first trip out there which was like i don't know seven and a half or eight <laughs> hours we didn't have the radio on once going out or back we just we should have filmed like three podcasts uh, on the way there and back. Were we were just full on for it man. yeah just full on talking excited excited to get there uh, you know after seeing things thinking midwest and and hunting season coming and the last one was more I mean it was good but it was also a drag like by the time we were getting back we It we're was it felt longer coming struggle back. Struggle bus. Yeah. Well yeah. we lose an hour coming
2: back from mm. central time zone to eastern time zone. Going mm. out there you you buy one back. It's like oh we're early. Yeah. Hey.
0: Coming back it's like yeah you, know, you add 2 hours yeah. on So, but that's what we, that's kind of been and and with that, I mean it's it's exciting but it's also kind of, you know, start to push us a little bit here on things that we have to do. We've got beans in the ground. We've gotten a lot of rain which is great. At the same time, I think it's causing a lot of weed growth mm-hmm. in some of these plots. Um, so we're due to spray here bean plots like soon. Yeah, and I'll take the rain.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm spraying tomorrow. Spraying beans. Yep. Uh, starting to spray some fall plots like some ones that we're working get for the, the new first them. time. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we've got some bows coming. This yes. Life. I don't know. I kind of figured they'd be here. Maybe maybe next week. So next we'll week kind next of week? work yeah. on getting those all set up. And I'm I'm excited for that too. Kind of start to get in the, yeah. in the mindset.
0: Uh, our guest today is kind of a bow guy. Kind of. Kind of, you might say a bow guy. <laughs> uh also a guy who, and we'll get into it, I think has has moved to where he's at four deer. Yep. Coincidentally. Yeah. Um so, so when people,
2: you know, to us say quit whining and just moved to Iowa if that's if you want it so bad, you know. Yeah. This guy did it. Yeah,
0: Chris B did it. <laughs> he did it. He, he went. He went. So um yeah, we've got a lot to talk about with with Chris today, probably just shooting the shit on some stuff and um, you know, be interesting. We we were talking kind of pre-podcast. Um, he basically at one of the total archer challenges, he won a truck. Is that what he won? I think so. He can correct us if not. But yeah, apparently
2: it was here in Pennsylvania, which I told him I was. I was there briefly, and yeah. I had to run off for uh, an emergency. I had to take care of some some family. Can't even staff, find a truck in today's market. Let alone win one. I know. Yeah. Well, who, I don't know if he has it or they're like, well, we'll ship it to you in eight months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's it. Just shows that's up. It's not the first place. one either. I'm curious if he like he keeps those or just turns around and
0: sells them. Or that's not the first truck he's won? I don't think so. Wow. Yeah, we're gonna have to get uh, into you that. You could probably make a living off of just like winning those trucks. Yeah, maybe he is winning trucks and killing bucks. I, I think mean, that's, you win two or three, two or
2: three a year, depending on whatever truck they're giving away. That's, you know, it's a like hundred grand.
0: That's pretty awesome. Well, uh, let's bring Chris in. All right. Well, Chris, we appreciate you coming on this afternoon, man. Uh, you you got to kind of correct Jared and I right out of the gate. So, did you just win a truck?
1: No. So that that was a little bit of uh, quote unquote clickbaity. Oh you bitch. <laughs> and, and we got, got so us. we. <laughs> I got you guys though. No, so we got entered
2: in. I literally told Jared that's why no, I was like, got, dude, did you know Chris just won that truck? I was like, that's crazy.
1: You <laughs> sound a bitch. So. We got entered to win the truck.
2: Uh,
0: wow. So
1: it's like, so you hit, you hit this, uh, it's 111 yards and you have to hit the center ring, which is like, I think four inches okay. um, in diameter and you have to hit it, you have to hit it without touching any lines. Um, but once you hit it, you just get entered to win. So right now there's probably mm. 60 or 70 people in for the year. Wow. That's so it's more like than every Toro nice challenge.
0: Damn.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, I I think last year it got up to like a hundred people. Um, I think it, every year is a little bit different. Last year is definitely the biggest year. Just, wow. I think it depends on like demand and how well, like the weather is at some events and stuff. Yeah. Um, so they go by event and it just keeps accumulating until, um, like this year, Utah attack is the very last one. So they'll you know keep keep doing it every single event and then at the very last one they'll announce they'll like draw it out of a hat pretty much and choose yeah. a winner
2: makes sense that they do it that way but man wouldn't you love to see a shoot off mm. shoot off it's like everybody Nothing that can like hit that, that. <laughs> yeah. first of all 60 70 p that's a lot they should probably back it up to 150 narrow that down to like how so our- like a handful
0: yeah
1: yeah, so they've they've talked about that because the first few years there was like fifteen, twenty, thirty people, you know, and now it's like a hundred people. Yeah, um, hmm. I mean, they it's it's a little money maker for them. I mean, people are dropping some money. It's fifteen dollars a shot.
0: Oh you know? man, so that's it a money adds maker up. right there. So you're yeah. telling me there's a chance. Are you
2: there like agging people on like the guy that's sitting on the dunk take? You're like, come yeah. on. Come on. It's oh, 15 yeah. more bucks. One
0: more <laughs> shot. Yeah. You won't do it.
2: Serious, uh, but kind of play. Sorry,
0: go ahead, Chris.
1: No, you're good. We I, Yeah, we, we, we have some fun with it. Just kind of, it's been in videos. So people are like, when we go to shoot it, we're like, try to get more guys to throw money at it or whatever.
2: Yeah. There's a serious but, I guess, kind of playful question. You go to a lot of TAC events, right? I'm sure more than Jeremy and I do. Um, You ever see anybody there with a crossbow?
1: (laughs) I have. um, I think just once, though. And it was more of, like, the traditional recurve. It was an old one, but it was, like, a recurve one.
0: Old old school, Um, like, Excalibur type thing. I think it...
1: Yeah, it, it looked really old, but uh, it's definitely frowned upon. I feel <laughs> is it a crossbow. Uh,
2: I wonder why I, though. Like if, if I, I, I had a think crossbow, so. I, I mean, want to go to that.
0: I don't know. I feel like you get your ass kicked there.
2: It's it's a fun. I, don't,
1: I mean, <laughs> we could we could we could dive down this rabbit hole if you want. To, oh, we
0: it's, always like the to. rabbit hole. Yeah. So one guy. I mean, and bold move. Good for him. him. Dude. Yeah, I good mean, for him. He doesn't care. Going against the grain.
2: Uh, well, frankly, <laughs> I'd like to see more out there. I mean, it. It just see. I mean, and I, and I hate that it does, but it just speaks to the, like the the lack of practice that it needs. But dude, <sighs> you should be out there shooting a three D course.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Too early. <laughs> too, early too early to, early get to, get to bring into a, the cross to the crossbow thing. Foot. No, it's never too early. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's never too early. Sorry. Um. Yeah, it's interesting though. I would expect it there to be more than one guy. Yeah. So uh, see a lot of recurve people there. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: I don't. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah, you you see some longbow, like some recurve people, um, but you really don't. You don't see a lot of crossbows, and I think it's because it's total archery challenge has been so branded around like vertical bows. Like when you think of archery, you don't think of crossbows like when you just the word pops up in your head you just think vertical bow like even Mm -hmm. traditional long bow compound bows you really don't think of crossbows so i don't know i feel like i i think they'll let people they i don't think they have any rules against it obviously there's been like one guy that i've seen um (laughs) but it's very much a traditional thing i definitely know um all the novelty stuff like, the novelty shoots, like shooting for the truck, they would not let a crossbow. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, that, right, that one. But there is, uh, I think we talked about it um, maybe a couple weeks ago, uh, the ASA trail, so the actual competitive archery trail, they shoot crossbows in that. Yeah. Mm. Different class, but it's like, yeah, sure. yeah. I would hope so. That it's a different class? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like, they, a, they, that's like a guy competing in women's swimming. Swimming? <laughs>
1: No, they have a completely different class and they actually, they pay out money pretty decently. So the, the ASAs, even, even some indoor archery stuff, like the Vegas shoot, that giant shoot, uh, indoor tournament in Vegas. There's a pretty big car class. Wow. And, uh, it's wild. Like you can shoot some wild, wild good scores. And they even have like the rifle stance where they like lean back and do the whole mm-hmm. do the whole deal and everything. Yeah, people people get way into it. Is it Mission is- Crossbows actually did a pretty good push uh, for like ASAs and tournaments. Like they had like sponsored shooters and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. it, it was definitely a deal.
2: Wow, yeah. is it a further shot? They back you up.
1: Uh, not for indoors. It's still 20 yards. So it's 20 yards for crossbows and compound and recurve and everything like that. Um, for outdoor, like 3d stuff, I think it's at 50 yards, which is the furthest that Mm -hmm. like the professional, uh, division
0: at. Gotcha.
2: Well, Chris, speaking on the archery stuff, like, you know, forgive Jeremy and I, we're we're not totally up to speed on like the whole archery world. Like you're certainly plugged in on the the competition side and stuff. I think a lot more than we are. Uh, Can you share with us just like some of your credentials, your experience, like getting into the archery world and even, even share with us, like, you know, the background on your YouTube channel and kind of just give an introduction of yourself
1: um so i grew up in michigan my dad was a big time bow hunter and he got me into archery at a very young age i think i was six or seven years old he gave me one of those really small red fiberglass bows with the arrows and when i was shooting at like 3d targets in the backyard like they weren't even sticking in the target they were just like bouncing out of it Mm -hmm. so that that was the age i started at and when i was i think eight years old it was seven or eight years old i got into like a youth archery program Um, at Livingston Conservation Sports Association in Brighton, Michigan. And it was, uh, you know, there was 50, 60 kids every Saturday morning uh, shooting, like, this indoor league. And that's really where my exposure began, like, figuring out, like, hey, this archery thing is actually could be cool. And I got pretty hooked. And on my eighth birthday, I got my first bow, like, compound bow. as a PSE Spider. and then from there, I just kind of, um, I started bow hunting when I was 10 because you had to be 10 years old in Michigan in order to hunt. It mm. was, I think that age requirement's gone now, mm-hmm. but you had to be 10. Um, and I shot a buck in October, uh, with my dad out of a ground blind. Um, and that was the very first deer that I've ever killed. Uh, and then right at that time, I also shot like my first state tournament. So it was like this little state tournament thing and, uh, kind of got hooked on that. So. From there, from ever since I was ten years old, I've killed a deer with a bow every single year. So for sixteen years now, I've killed a deer, at least one deer with a bow wow. every Ooh. year. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been cool, man. Um, especially growing up in Michigan, I mean, we had so many deer. There's lots of targets. They weren't big, but we had a lot of deer, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so from there, I was uh, kind of got more involved in the tournament side of things and uh started going to more and more state tournaments i upgraded my bow to like a better hunting bow um and i was still shooting tournaments with my hunting bow um and then we got exposed to like hey you could actually go to a national tournament like all you got to do is sign up and go there i think it was in pennsylvania so uh we all drove out there and i finally had i still had a hunting bow but i like rigged it out with all the target stuff so like long stabilizers and mm-hmm. scope and everything and mm-hmm. I think I came in third or I, I I placed, I forget what it was. I mean, it was like the youngest division you could be in, in the youth divisions. Um, so that got me hooked like big time. So I'm like, okay, this is fun. Like I got to do more of this. Um, so from there, I mean, it just scaled. I would do more state stuff, more national stuff. Um, and when I was 14, 14 or 15 i believe i was 14 i went to california for like my first exposure to any sort of like world tur- world tournament stuff it was a world team trials so i shot up a division so i wasn't even in my age bracket um and i made it to like the final day shoot off um and was competing against like 17 year olds and made it as the alternate so I wasn't on the team but I like made the fourth spot so I thought that was super cool at the time and I was like dang man like this is sweet like I almost I think the trip was Poland Mm. like I almost made it on a team to go to Poland um so that was that was sweet so kept doing stuff like that and I mean throughout my high school years I um made it on the United States uh archery team like four years in a row I think which is like your top top people in the nation when you do like this circuit it's essentially like a pga tour but for usa archery type stuff Mm. um so i did that all the way through high school um in high school i then picked up uh nasp which is a national archery in the schools program yep i did not start there but I, i eventually picked it up and that man i mean that got me all sorts of exposure so i obviously knew how to shoot a bow already and when i picked that up i uh Pretty, did pretty decent. I made, um, I placed at like national several times, world several times, um, made it on some all-star teams. We went to South Africa on an all-star team, um, did a couple all-star teams here. So honestly, NASP, uh, I did probably my best in, um, out of the two disciplines at that time. Um, really to, and honestly it was harder because we had, when you went to nationals, there was 15,000 kids there. Jeez. So it was like an insane amount of kids. Um, so that was fun, uh, doing that. And I still, to this day, it's like, if your school has a program, like a NAS program, you definitely got to do it. I mean, even if you just bow hunt, like there's so much exposure to archery and, and the sport that you can get in. Um, so after high school, I, uh, or I guess during that time when I was 16, I've made my YouTube channel, so I started filming my hunts and doing fun videos and just kind of, cause I enjoyed it. I liked filming. I started to learn how to edit myself film and, uh, was very self-taught. And from when I was 16, um, just until like this past year, uh, every single deer, pretty much every single deer I've killed with the bow has been on film. Wow, so I like made a very conscious effort ever since I was sixteen to like solo film everything. and uh, so it's been it's been a long grind, and it started way back in high school. Um, oh. So from there, I went to Michigan State, and I actually shot on like the Michigan State archery team. Um, that was also super, super fun. We traveled all around, um, actually made like a world team for the World University games and went to Taipei uh, which was super cool. Uh, it was wild. It was like a a little mini Olympics for the, for college. It was probably the craziest event I've ever gone to. They literally built apartments in the city we were in, put a giant cage around it. It was like hunger games. It (laughs) was little key cards to like scan in and out. Like it was, it was a wild experience. Um, Um, and then from there in college, I started, I switched over to like the professional division. So I started shooting professionally, um, never really had like a, a win or anything professionally because it, it's just freaking hard. Yeah, <laughs> Like you gotta be, you have to practice so much and like, that's all the winning guys right now. It's like, that's what they do. So I, I did well. I'm super happy with it. And especially now I, I've toned it down to where I'll shoot just a couple events here and there. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of like my archery career saga leading up to this point.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Chris, you, like, obviously you got into like the archery and shooting stuff at a young age. Would you say that even that was driven by the fact that, you know, watching your dad be like, uh, you know, a successful bow hunter that you wanted to be a bow hunter and it's just kind of naturally you found another thing to do with a bow. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean my dad he he was like your traditional michigan bow hunter guy like had 10 acres out back had mm-hmm. a couple tree stands and shoot a few deer a year and be like super happy yep um so that's what got me into it but i just love shooting archery in general so i just i just whatever little avenue i could go down i just just went down it hmm.
2: dude so what what uh frankly jeremy and I are kind of oblivious like we spend so much time focusing on uh, you know, even within the bow hunting world, like our focus is probably if I had to choose, like if it was the archery focus or if it was like the land management focus, like we we probably spend more time like on, on the land portion of it, like mm-hmm. put, putting you know work into different farms that we're hunting or even you know scouting out of state, and we do some public and stuff like that. Too. We'll get to the Kansas stuff, you know, later, but um frankly and maybe even maybe yeah. me even more than jeremy but like we're kind of oblivious to like the, the archery world like all of the you know i even have questions about like the, the governing body of like you mentioned the asa jeremy is that is that who's like putting together all of these and like are, the, are these guys at the top can you what kind of money can you make as like a professional archer
1: yeah so there's there's several governing bodies of the sport of archery it's really it's really weird like it's a lot of politics and that and that but uh (laughs) there's usa archery which is like the government funded Mm -hmm. organization so it's like you shoot usa archery to travel on these world teams to represent like usa like that's it's not really like considered professional um but it's like it you're you're representing usa when you go to these events and i mean they have they have uh, the USAT circuit is what they call it, United States Archery Team Circuit. So there's there's an event in California and Florida and Ohio and Alabama and all these spots throughout like the spring through the summer and you go travel and shoot outdoor tournaments um, to, to make these teams and to represent USA. Um, they also have some indoor stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have what's called ASA, so Archery Shooters Association. That's like the biggest 3D yep. uh, event. So if you see like Levi Morgan uh, shooting 3D, that's what he's shooting.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, that's what probably most job. people are familiar They've with. They've been growing a lot. You know, at least listening to this, like the Dan yeah. McCarthys, the Levi Morgans, yeah. you know, that that you see in that ASA realm. Mm-hmm.
1: Correct, yeah. And that's honestly the closest connection to like hunting and archery is kind of there Mm -hmm. and so that's why i think there's a lot of crossover and a lot of popularity with it. 3d -hmm. animals you know stuff like that it's in illinois you know southern states it's in heavy hunting states so that's where i think just most popularity is i mean it's on sportsman's channel now Hmm. so uh that asa is definitely where yeah it's on sportsman's channel interesting um it does it does it live yeah people don't even know about it uh, but it does it live every, every time there's the, the shoot off. Um, nice. but ASA is definitely where the most money is. The, the sponsors put the most money into it. Um, I mean, if you're, if you win a tournament as a professional, like Levi winning or Mc- Dan McCarthy or whatever, I mean, you can walk away with. 20, 30 grand in a tournament if you win. Okay. Um, the The downside of that is if you don't win, you don't make a lot of money. Right. Like there are so many guys, there's so many guys that are the weekend warriors, you know, they work in the pro shops and they have a day job and they'll travel and do these weekend tournaments, you know, a couple times, a couple times a year. There's honestly probably like maybe around 10 people that can only shoot full time. Jeez. Like, that's literally all they do is shoot bow. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it requires a side gig a lot of times for these like, quote unquote, professional guys. Um, but it's, uh, you can do really good if you're on top of your game. And then the next year you could not win a tournament, you know, and then you have sponsor deals and everything else. But it's, mm. uh, it's definitely potential to make money, but it's just tricky. It's very pressure uh, oriented. I mean, it's like how you shoot re- relies on how much money you make. And
0: Yeah. So Chris, um, a lot of those guys, um, even if they're not finishing, like let's say on the podiums and then the top, like, you know, you still see them wearing you know, whether it's yeah. their Hoyt or Matthews jersey and spawn. I mean, are those lower level guys still getting sponsorships at that point or is it, you know, how, how does that work?
1: Um. Yeah. Good question. Because I think it creates a misconception that if you're wearing a pro staff jersey, like a Matthews or a Hoyt jersey, that you're making it and you're making a living and you're yeah. doing all that. It's like, that's far from, I mean, you are, uh, these companies will give a pro staff jersey out to just about anyone. <laughs> and and people say yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I yeah. mean, it
1: just, it just is. I mean, it, it's kind of like a numbers game. A lot of these companies think of it like, can we see like a uh, like a wave of yellow rolling in? Like right. Is everyone in Matthew shirts or is everyone in a white jerseys like there? Um, and uh, it's very, very few people are like in that uh, doing well, can do it for a living, actually getting paid. Like it's very hard. Like you got to be shooting really good to actually be getting a paycheck, uh, a paycheck, you know, worth anything from companies you know you need to be winning pretty
0: much well yeah because i mean you see some of these podium finishes and and again you know i'm not saying that it's not nothing but you know you'll see somebody holding a check from you know maybe not the main bow manufacturer but for like 250 bucks and they won and it's like okay well like a bunch of those adds up but like yeah that's not much money you said you can win like 20
2: or thirty thousand dollars if you win an event like how, how many of those events is it feasible for somebody to attend
1: so there's, I mean, if you do the full circuit. So if you do uh, another organization that's kind of equivalent to ASA, is called NFAA, National Field Archery Association, and that's what hosts like Vegas and some indoor mm. tournaments and uh, the Redding, the Redding Shoot, which is another big three D tournament. So a lot of times guys will do a little bit of everything. Like they'll be maybe a three D guy, but they'll also go to some other events. So. If you're one of the main, if you're one of the main guys that's like really hot that year, I mean, you could win five or six tournaments and make easily in the six figures, you know, just shooting archery, mm-hmm. along with sponsor contingencies and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, but there's also years where you maybe only come in third place at one event, and then you're like top ten in the rest of the events, like just doing okay. And I mean, if you did that, I mean, you would maybe make ten grand. Yeah, maybe. Um you
2: know i mean it's it kind, so of, seems
1: it's, it, kind it of fluctuates a lot it
2: kind of seems like any of those like i don't know like promoter cross comes to mind or even like you know bodybuilding and stuff, i don't know like it seems like yeah there's some money to be made by yeah. competing but like most of it comes from you know the side hustle that yeah, comes en- from your notoriety
0: endorsement
2: yeah whether sponsorship or like if you can come out with some products of your own or um yeah
1: a hundred percent yeah And that's, it's the same thing with archery. I mean, like if you're winning, you can make money, but you need to be prepared for when you're not winning. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's essentially, you know, like growing, growing into the space and thinking about like, okay, a company sponsors someone because they feel like they will sell them product. It's not because they, you know, are nice. It's not because they, it's because they can sell product and you sell product by winning tournaments or having some other source of influence on people. Yeah. I mean, it, it just is like for, for sponsoring in the archery space. So that's where, you know, I saw, you know, social media being important. And, mm-hmm. um, like I helped, uh, I ran Hoyt. Hoyt social media while I was in college for three years, mm. which really opened my eyes to like how important social media was and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's important, like leveraging shooting soup very, very well, and also having a good social media and tying those together is like, as a professional archer is where you got to be. Because if you don't have, if you break a finger tomorrow as a professional archer, I mean, like, what are you going to do?
0: Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. yeah.
2: So. Chris, like today, where are you at with all that? Like how, how much of your time is dedicated to like shooting professionally versus like you're obviously in other things. I'm sure like your YouTube channel probably makes some money. Like, are you spent, like, are you making your money completely in in the outdoor industry slash archery industry?
1: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I guess my business, it's, it's all I do, um, in the outdoor space, archery space, uh, with like YouTube being the. The main mothership i guess or the driving force of it all um but yeah on a like archery professional level i love going to events i'll still go to an event but the amount of bandwidth i would have to to put forth practicing and preparing for them is way too much than i can afford now like it's shooting every day for you know x amount of arrows to get my endurance up and then keeping on it like shooting every couple of days I just can't like I haven't picked up my target bow in two months mm-hmm. just because I'm so busy doing everything yeah. else because yeah. everything else is just taken off and you know that's how life goes but, yeah well dude, yeah, that you gotta really if you're if you're in it you gotta be in it sort of thing yeah
2: well dude that's one thing that I really appreciate about you is that I, I think a lot of people are like you know you know know you for your archery uh knowledge and like the tips and tricks that you give to people and uh but at the same mm-hmm. time it's like from a bow hunting perspective when i jump on your youtube channel or i see stuff you're putting out on on social i'm like this freaking dude likes to hunt mm-hmm. you know i wa- like recently here's leading up to this podcast yeah. i watched a bunch of your hunts from from iowa and and, and stuff this past couple of years and probably your kansas video it is uh w- one of the most notable people <laughs> you know <laughs> people that aren't plugged into the archery community are no. like oh is that the kid to kill that killed that freaking giant on uh, kansas walk we're like yes, yes. yes. that's him him. yeah
1: yeah no i love hunting i mean i i started hunting and that's where i think the misconception is is like i'm you know more archery focused which i am like archery is my main focus but i got into archery because of hunting Mm -hmm. you know so i'm bow hunter through and through i mean we hunt i think i hunted like uh, over 100 days last
0: year wow it was
1: just nonstop.
0: That's crazy, man. Well, so, yeah, because, I mean, you're traveling, right? So you were in Michigan. When did you move to Iowa? Just like a year or two ago? So, yeah, we're coming up on three years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you moved to Iowa for obvious reasons. Is that uh, is that what prompted the move? <laughs> did you move to Iowa to kill giant bucks?
1: Yeah, so it, it was a multitude of reasons. So uh, my girlfriend, Caitlin, Caitlin Moss, she mm-hmm. has, like, a YouTube channel and everything, too. Uh, we started dating and we were long distance for a year and you know, it's like relationship escalating, whatever. It's like, okay, like we need to find a meet in the middle spot, you know? Cause I don't, we're not doing this long distance thing. She's like, well, I'm not moving to Michigan. And I was like, if I'm moving, I'm going to move to Iowa. Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: Iowa's our meet in the middle.
0: That's yeah. a good yeah. ultimate. Along though. with
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Good, good politics here. Good business here, and big deer. So it's like, yeah. it's kind Hard of a no brainer. Wrong.
0: Yeah, because yeah. she was living in what Missouri at the time.
1: Yeah, she was in Kansas City, yep. which I, I Kansas City's great, but it's like if I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move to Iowa. Like, yeah. it's
0: just
2: sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'd be the
0: same way probably. If I, I, I think that that's the sense. way to
2: put it. If I'm gonna move, I'm moving to Iowa.
0: Yeah. So you moved to Iowa. Yeah. I mean, is it? it and it, you're on three years now. I mean, is it everything you expected?
1: Gosh, dude! I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Iowa, and you know, I'll say this too. I was just on a podcast a little bit ago, and they were asking me the same sort of questions. And I feel like there's a trend right now of people be bopping around and moving all around, and like exposing states to social media and whatnot. Like that really opened my eyes after Kansas. Yeah. Like I will all I will forever think differently about um, the impact that having a big channel is on states and areas. Mm. Um, so moving to Iowa, it's like, yeah, you want, as an outsider, you want to come here to take advantage of the resources in the state. Everyone in the state is, doesn't like guys like me coming in to take advantage of the state's resources. Right. So it's like, I, I, there's such a double edged sword, uh, internally in me that's like, sometimes it doesn't sit well. And I, 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 I you know, because I understand and I, I see both perspectives. Um, but it's definitely been a transition. It's definitely been hard. And honestly, it's, Iowa hunting is great, but it's still hunting.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's still hard. Yeah. You know, like sure, if you have some giant, well manicured property or good neighbors, like you can have good deer year after year. But I mean, last year, I finally got like some good properties and some like, what I thought was like a good program and man it was still hard to find 160 inch deer you know it like really uh you know every year I've learned I've learned a good bit like first season it was just like it was just like drinking out of a fire hose like what's going on here and then like last year got, got a little bit more dialed it's like okay let's be less picky just enjoy hunting here and like figure it out um and this year it's like just trying to dial it in more and more of the spots and, and everything like that. So is that, yeah, not as it's, it's not like a booners behind every tree here. Yeah.
2: Is that primarily like permission that you're getting, or do you have leases or public or.
1: Uh, yeah, I have a couple leases now, um, and a couple of permission places. So, um, I think, uh, diversity, a big thing that I'm like trying to work on is diversity of spots uh just to you know sometimes a property will have a down year and then the other one will be better and just you know more spots are better even if they're small um i think you just never know when like a big deer is going to be in the area that year and then you can yeah hunt that that one spot
0: the hunter podcast is brought to you by stealth cam dude where would we be without our cell cams i would definitely be divorced at this point (laughs) yeah i hear that (laughs) i mean the fact is is i spent more time checking cameras than i actually did hunting prior to cell cameras now at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home buried in my phone checking those pictures 100 yeah,
2: and dude when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely stealth cameras reliability is i think the number one thing that we're looking for stealth cam just has a long reputation of reliable
0: cameras and ultimately that is the most important thing to us they have to work in terms of reliability there's not a better camera on the market than stealth cam whether you're talking about the fusion x the reactor or the ds4k transmit and most of them are under 200 bucks Southcam.com. Check them out. So, Chris, when you talked about like that, the impacts of kind of the social side. Obviously, we know how successful your Kansas video went, which you know. I, I guess mean, dude what a
2: freaking hunt like, <laughs> yeah that's, i'll go back and rewatch it every once i'm just like yeah. holy crap man, it's not how cool was, you know <laughs> as you know whatever yeah. you, you the mixed emotion of like yeah it exposed all this stuff but like dude even just to, to be able to see that was like i, I don't know that that's what a, people dream of yeah. i know there's another video that stands out of that deer coming over the hill like that one does in my mind
1: yeah yeah, dude. I mean, I'll, people ask and it's like, did you have Intel? Did you have trail cameras out or whatever? It's like the story is wh- what exactly happened. I right. mean, we, I e-scout, well, first I, I picked some random units that I've never stepped foot on yep. applying for. Cause I was like, I've never hunted Kansas before. Yep. Let's try it. And, um, did some e-scouting and probably had like a dozen pins on a couple de- de- decent spots. And, uh, First morning, I just saw a buck on one of them that I had pinned, went and sat in a tree and honestly, no intel whatsoever. And he just walked by, Jeez. which is absolutely <laughs> wild. Like that'll never happen again in my entire life. Yeah. And um, what's wild is, is we went back um, to a, the, a, the same area uh, this past year and had in an, the absolute worst week of hunting I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. It was terrible.
0: Yeah. So it's like,
1: yeah. I don't know if it's the increase of pressure or if it's like that. I mean, I know that was a hundred percent of a fluke because Caitlin sure. was hunting. She hunted four days after that and she saw like two bucks in those four days. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, it was such a random fluke of a thing. Um,
0: so, yeah, yeah, it's funny how it happens like that though, man. I mean, we've had that same experience in Kansas. I think you know, a couple of years I've killed on like the first morning and then the, the next six days where they're hunting, it's just desolate, you know, and, and a lot of times I think the weather's huge out there. I mean, it gets hot in a hurry in some cases and, you know, we see that affect the deer movement, but it's just, it's situational too, like from property to property. It's, it's weird. Cause
2: you know, for a long time it was, it was just Jeremy and I, and, and we had some other guys going with us, but more recently we've taken our dads out. So we have more people on, you know, looking at when we're all on different properties and stuff. And uh, it's like one property might just be dead. And I don't know if it's like, you know... And yeah. it's, it's weird. It's from year to year, they change too. It's like, well, I don't know, dude. This this bottom was on fire last year. It's like, now I can't I can't buy a buck. Mm-hmm. And some spots are just, they're on. And it's like, it doesn't matter how much pressure you apply to them. It, like last year, dad was in the spot. My dad was in the spot. Like from day one, he was just like buck after buck after buck. Yeah. And he had some opportunities and, and, you know, actually got an arrow in, in two of them. <laughs> um, but, you know, by the end of the trip, we're like, dude,
0: what are we doing? Like, we need to put somebody else <laughs> yeah. in that. Pr-
2: it's not... You know, we think about like, well, you don't want to
0: overpressure a woodlot or whatever. We it's put like, one guy on 140 acres because it's the way that it funneled. It was like, well, every deer could come past him, and it did. Like every deer did come past him, basically.
2: And then we continued to see giants. Like I, it was yeah. one of the last days of the hunt. I walked in there and I was like, I bumped a booner for sure out of a drainage. It was right next to him, and he's like, I never saw it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think last year was the first time Chris yeah. and I mean we've we've hunted. We Jared and I usually are on public, especially with the dads out there, but. Last year was the first year that it seemed like we couldn't get away from people on public. Like before it would be like, ah, somebody's at that spot. We'll bounce over here. Mm-hmm. Last year was the first year. It was like every freaking parking lot was jammed. And, and what was surprising is most of the people on it were Kansas residents. Yeah. It wasn't non-residents we were running into. We were running into mm. Kansas residents everywhere. Yeah. I, I think that's,
1: po- that's becoming more and more popular in each state is like the fad of public land hunting is so big that even if you have like a permission piece or like, like your own property, people just want to go hunt public, which is just sometimes absurd to me, but they just want it yeah. for the challenge or want it for the, you know, change of scenery. But yep. yeah, I don't know. I, I notice that too. And every state that I go to, it's like a <laughs> lot of residents. Hunting their own public, which is cool, but yeah, I well,
0: don't, it, I don't
2: think it's by choice, honestly. I mean, maybe yeah, there there definitely is like that public land fad, but I think they're getting displaced by people leasing. coming in or leasing or buying. You know, non residents coming in and oh, leasing or buying. Yeah. Which you know, you, you know, you said you you went out and bought a piece. Like who who can blame a guy for buying a piece of land? to, to sure. you know that's what you do. But the reality is, I think I think a lot of those guys that we're seeing on yeah. public now maybe used to just have permission on their neighbors or or wherever, and
0: you know that permission dried up. You know, within the last couple of years here, it could get real dicey here soon. You know, Kansas has got this uh, baiting ban bill on the table. Like, I don't know where it stands in status. Like, it's just recent that that it's even come across the desk. Right. So think about if on private land because you can't do it on public, but on private land, baiting is banned. I mean, man, now food resources become critical. And frankly, there's some better managed public land than there is this cattle barren land on, on a private side. Now, it used to be if you had cattle ground, you put mm-hmm. a corn pile out. Yeah, you'll draw a buck in. But I mean, if that goes away, you may be better hunting publicly. And then you are that 160 acres of cattle ground. Yeah, yeah
1: I didn't know that. That's that's wild. I think it's just an evolutionary thing. Like we, more and more people are getting into hunting. There's more and more people in general, you know, and it's just like, there's only so much, there's only so much property to go around. You know, I think about it often, it's like, what is, what is hunting going to look like in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Like, is there going to be, you know, now a bunch of 40 acre lots all scattered across Iowa and Kansas? because so many people have moved in. And is it gonna, is it gonna become Michigan? Yeah. Because essentially what Michigan is, is a bunch of 10, a 10, 20, 30 acre lots. I mean, it's hard to find a yeah. hundred acres of continual land in Michigan, especially Southern Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just because of a population thing. You know, More and more people are coming in and buying and splitting up family farms. And that's it. I mean, that's what's going on here. I mean, la- land prices are going way up. Um, because people keep expanding out of these metro areas and eventually all of these more rural areas are just going to keep getting busted up. Yep. So it's like it's just a snowball effect. I mean like talking to guys that were buying property out here in Iowa 10, 20 years ago for 500 bucks an acre, <laughs> 1000 bucks an acre. I mean they were the start. Yeah. I mean they were the start of it though. I mean they were buying these giant chunks. I mean these 1000 acre pieces they were busting up into you know, quarters, yep. And then selling it for a thousand dollars an acre. Yep. And now those guys are splitting their pieces into quarter for six thousand dollars an acre. And then we're gonna come around and buy those hundred acres and split it into quarters and sell it for ten thousand dollars an acre. Yeah, I do. I mean it's not it's just not gonna stop. The evolution the evolution, it's like that uh it's the economies of scale and that democracy. I mean it's just mm-hmm. like the fact that you can go buy land, sell the land and like it's just it's just it's never going to stop, you
0: know? Yeah. People ask us that all the time. They're like, well, you know, we're either, we're going to wait till land prices come back down or we're just, you know, we'll wait. And it's like, it, it's not going to come down. No, it's, it's going to just keep going. I mean, it's a supply and demand thing. You know I mean? That's yeah. just how it's going to be. And with that yeah. population, and we had a conversation, well, if people are listening to this, I guess it's the last po- podcast, Chris, with um, Matt Ranella, so Steve Ranella's buddy and brother. And and Matt is very oh, vocal. Yeah on this whole like It was a rough there's <laughs> there's too many hunters. Yeah, and I mean there were there were some things that we absolutely didn't agree with Matt on. But he, he makes a good point in some of the resource thing where it's like, you know, there's there's groups that are absolutely trying to promote and continue to grow the number of hunters, but it's like, dude, where are we gonna put these people? He he
2: basically was speaking to like, you know, like the yeah. like the military industrial complex like of the hunting industry. It's like he basically is pointing fingers at hunting influencers and manufacturers for like over-promoting and pumping money into creating new hunters, even though it's limiting, extremely limiting, you know, access for everybody like at the bottom. And he, he's like, a obviously he's against that.
0: Yeah. The extreme. It's a
1: double, it's a double edged sword, man. I mean, it's, I think it's just business in general. Um, you know, it's not even a hunting thing when you just, when you just think about business and, there's supply and demand and when the demand is higher than the supply, you're going to run into issues and we're running in, we're, we're running into the supply being different looking. I don't mm-hmm. think it's an issue. It's just going to be different of, you know, the land's going to be different our resources are going to be different. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's where, that's where I was kind of talking about, like exposing, you know, states and the resources and promoting it. It's like, yeah, I feel like a double-edged sword at times because you know, Um, you go into an area and and show it off, and you're like, Yeah, Kansas has giant deer, come hunt there. Yeah, and then 30% uh, increase in tag sales the next year, and a bunch of non resident guys go lease a bunch of land that maybe this resident 16 year old kid had permission on, sure, and that was his only place to hunt. And you know, you kicked him off, and so, like, okay, I did good by promoting hunting. But by doing so, I kicked the sixteen-year-old kid off of his permission ground. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. It's just like it's just this weird. It's a cycle. This weird, like double-edged sword.
0: Yeah, yeah. It it is. I mean, because obviously, and we joke like every time, like like last year, well, I guess. The last two years we got drawn for Kansas, mm-hmm. but I think it was the year your video came out or something, or we didn't get drawn. Like, way to go, Chris, uh, asshole! You know, and it, uh, just joking, <laughs> right? But yeah, it's, but, but it's, seriously, <laughs> but yeah, seriously though. But it's what it so, was.
1: It was a 30 percent increase, thirty percent tag increase, all because of Chris' B's video. I we gotta know. tell you, man. I dude, It could have
0: been it could have been <laughs> yeah they're definitely not uh also
1: covid it was probably yeah, COVID. It probably we'll we'll blame it was it 2021
0: yeah well 20, 2020 what years you shoot that buck 19 20 i shot it in
2: 2020
1: so it was 2021 uh application mm. season is when it went up 30
2: percent. so i guess yeah it could have been some COVID. but dude i i gotta believe that it had some impact frank i can't think of a video uh well, I mean, the the obvious. I, I can't think of another one that would have like driven people so. I remember specifically yeah. people that year being like, "Freaking crispy blew up Kansas," and I was <laughs> like, "And I, well, that's obviously not the." Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you sweat over there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no, man. I mean, it's
1: like I had people personally text me, kind of jokingly, but be like, "Way to go, man." But I mean, and it's it's like, okay, what am I supposed to do? What did you not want me to post it? Right,
0: exactly, dude. And I, and again, to our admission on this, we've watched it five different times because it's a freaking awesome video. Like, it's what we dream about doing. Yeah, and I mean, it. There's, But here, here's where I I don't. I don't think you did anything wrong. No, I don't think so either. I I think this is where it comes down to. There's boundaries that are set in place by you know the state department of game and fish, depending on which state you're in, right? And so. You know, Kansas has some pretty tight boundaries. The facts that, that people like myself, I, I used to draw every year, every year, every year. And then the year we didn't draw, and it was then like I started coming. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? Like, what do you mean I didn't draw? And it's just because there's other factors, COVID at fact, they and I think 2014 or 15 crossbows were it's introduced. The demand. Yeah. yeah it's I mean, there's all, all these opportunity things. things that are increasing yeah. people to it. Um and you know, I think they're protecting it, right? I mean, Kansas is saying, hey we're still only going to allocate this many non-resident tags, right? Just like Iowa's doing the same thing. Now, behind the scenes, there are lobbyists that are trying to open that thing wide open, right? To to allow more people to come in, in yeah. both Iowa and Kansas, which is not a good thing. You know, for a guy who wants to hunt those states every year, yeah. I would rather not just to preserve the resources in them.
1: Yeah, and I think, to go on your point, it is, it is a state's responsibility to manage a lot of that. Like, uh, Nebraska this year um, went to a draw for mule deer for the first time ever. Oh wow! And I mean, they cut way, they cut way down. And I mean, I've hunted in Nebraska, uh, for many, many years, uh, for mule deer. And it's like, I didn't draw, like, it's just, yeah. like it went just like this, which is a good, th- which is a good thing. Like I'm okay with it because there's been a significant amount of hunters, more hunters in Nebraska. Yep. Uh, you can tell trophy quality has gone down. Numbers have gone down. So it's, it's like yeah okay sure like the the land and the deer are more important yep. than uh my ego and my wants to just go kill more of them yeah you know so <laughs> south Dakota, south dakota same thing i mean they went to a draw uh south dakota was like in my eyes the first western state that you could get over the counter mule deer tap yep okay. so it's like you had wisconsin minnesota michigan guys would just drive out and make a couple day trip out of it and that's getting harder and harder. I mean, go into a yeah. smaller and smaller draw. So
2: hmm, they, you know, they, I think
1: they, I think you're you're right on that.
2: They did something that was annoying too, though. Like but, if they're gonna cut you out of South Dakota, I'd rather them just say like, hey, no tag this year. Instead they said, well, you can have a tag, yeah. but you can't hunt until October 1st. It's like, well, what's the point? Unless like, you're on
0: private land, yeah.
2: On, on private land, yeah. Yeah.
0: Private. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah
1: it's crazy. Yeah, which you- which is again regulating because mule deer in September are dumb, man. I mean oh, it's I just know. they're like, hey, you gotta hunt them. You can hunt them on public, but you're gonna hunt them when it's harder.
0: Yeah. So. Well, and I mean, I think that's where you start to look at this. And Jared and I've kind of talked about this on numerous podcasts. For us, it's the experience side of things, right? It doesn't mean that we have to go out there and kill a buck in South Dakota or or Kansas or whatever, but we want to have seven days of where we just, man, we gave it our all. We had a hell of a time. Sure, you're gonna see guys out there, especially if you're hunting public land, but when you know it, it, example and we whine about it but last year in Kansas we spent you know half of our hunt driving around trying to find a place that nobody else was hunting like I mean that's yeah. just it what we didn't even we weren't yeah. even in the stand we weren't even out there trying to spot and suck or do it we were just looking for hey there's nobody over here maybe that's where we should go um and that that takes away from the experience of of being out there well you know
2: you can react to it however you know you want like because that is what hunting is or, or was at one time is like, you want to put yourself up against the animal, right? Yes. And, you know, I want to figure them out. I want to see what they're doing naturally and I want to try to like capitalize. I mean, that's the definition of hunting, you know, but as pressure has grown and especially like on public land, it's it's become more about like, well, you know, how, uh, how is that pressure affecting, you know, these animals? And, and so now I'm going to, my strategy needs to be about adapting to that and, 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 and you know, hunting accordingly and some guys, you know, like, you know, the diehard public land guys have, some of them have embraced that like wholeheartedly. And they're like, well, that's what hunting is now. It's just figuring out where the pressure is. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's a hard one for me to like, accept, like, I don't want that to be what hunting is. I hate that. I don't want to, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, it's, it's a totally d- different thing. And ultimately, yeah, you're you, I, we can tolerate it. And that's just part of what it is, especially on public land. But it's, it's kind of a shame to see that. Uh, you know, pursuit of of the animal and their natural habitat just being kind of abandoned because it's such a limited
0: resource. So, so few people can tap into that. Mm Hmm. Yeah, that's nuts, man. I, I, you know the the thing that I think that when we look at um we look at these states, and again, it's 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 crazy. So, Chris, you you know, you kind of mentioned you know growing up in Michigan. You know, Jared and I grew up in Pennsylvania. Like, you know. i didn't hear or really see people like uh, the furthest i heard people going was like ohio to hunt when Mm -hmm. i was growing up people were like yeah we're leaving pennsylvania Mm -hmm. we're gonna go hunt ohio it's amazing over there And it's like oh cool but you didn't hear that like nobody drove to illinois or kansas or iowa like it was it was foreign to that um and and going back to kind of the social media side of things like this is this is really opened up the awareness of like well you, you can pick up from pennsylvania and drive to North Dakota like we do 26 hours and hunt mule deer. I think they did more
2: uh, not more but mm-hmm. I think I think people did travel out there you just didn't hear about it cuz because of social media. Yeah. You know, and also, you know, they didn't have the tools like for the DIY stuff like they didn't have on they didn't pull up on it. they're like, well, we have to go with so-and-so outfitter. Mm-hmm. So I think I would assume outfitting was much bigger at Probably. the time, you know, before some of these DIY tools existed. Yeah. But and then again, you just didn't hear about it unless it was on the outfitter's website. There was like a gallery up there.
0: Yeah, so. man, I don't know. It's definitely changed the game in a lot of these places to to how things are. And so, Chris, you and Caitlin are still traveling around. I mean, even though you guys are in Iowa, you're still traveling traveling around to a lot of different states to hunt during the season, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we got. Um, I have I have a full schedule from August through January. I mean, lots of lots of stuff.
0: And are you starting out west?
1: I am uh, starting in Alaska. Actually, we're Whoa. doing a uh, caribou Alaska trip. Yeah, should be super super fun. And then it, August is going to be a burner of a, of a month for me. Cause I go straight from Alaska in August to the end of August. And in September, I have a uh, British Columbia mountain goat hunt. Mm. Mm. So it's like two really, really big hunts back to back. Um, then I have, uh, some elk stuff in September, uh, and then some mule deer in October and then get into whitetails for October, November, December.
2: Yep. And you came to Ohio last so year, right? It's going to be wild.
1: Yeah, I have, uh, I have a lease in Ohio. Um, shot a pretty good buck out there last year. I saw that. And uh, I have it again this year. Yeah, I have it again this year. So we'll see We'll see um, what's on there. I'm actually going to make a trip out there here soon, get some cameras out there. Um, but yeah, Ohio Ohio's cool. I like it. It's different, man. I mean, especially southern Ohio which is the, the good spot of Ohio, you know, unless you get a little cherry pick spot, but it's very, uh, mountainous is, you know, it's just different hunting. It's nothing like out here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: That's funny. I guess we don't really, but Jeremy and I, so Jeremy's got a farm down in Southern Ohio and I've got a farm in Eastern Central Ohio. And I gotta say, I think I'd put the central part of the state yeah. up against the Southern. Sure. And the, I think the right farms Yeah. for sure. Really? Yeah. Well, I've never hunted
0: southern Ohio. Yeah. yeah. I guess we're just going off our I mean, I think experience. there's big bucks all over the place. You deal, I mean, I do too, but you deal with more yeah. I know like here's the bucks and then they get shot. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of my bucks get shot. They just there's so much area for them to just be. That's true. Um yeah, more vast wilderness. I'm more in farm country. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the big difference between yeah. the two.
1: Yeah, where where we're at in Ohio, it's like big big hills, all timber. Yeah, like you're hunting timber bucks. I mean, there's no there's no uh, you know fields or anything.
0: Yep, weird. Yeah, it is, isn't I, it? I'm so uncomfortable. It's, it's
1: dude, I'm it's weird.
0: I'm so uncomfortable in that big woods. That's my style. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable in farm farm ground.
2: <laughs> I know. Because I
0: just you know I just want to go like and I not have to worry about it. And it's like, well, there's this ten acre island of woods, and like don't. Don't mess it up. It's <laughs> funny as we're like, Jeremy and I are looking at uh, Illinois.
2: Like we're, we've been trying to buy a piece out there for a while. Yeah. And we were at, and that's, that's, nice. as, that's about as farm country as it gets where, where we're at. And yeah. it's funny. Cause like, I don't know, did you, you're pretty good at it. Like, you know, I mean, I've but we, de- we definitely have totally yeah. different mindsets going into it. Like I, I feel very comfortable with it. I'm like, yeah, they're obviously betting on like this thick ridge here. They're going to walk the top of it and dump down into this. And I can tell, you know, you're looking at it more from a, you know where you're coming from is a is t- yeah. a timber standpoint, and I think they they both apply. And it's, it's almost nice like a
0: side. Well, the first thing I said to you, one of the farms we looked at was like 140 acres, and I was like, "Where's all the timber? Like, how is this 140? Because it's just open. Mm-hmm. It's like big open ground, you know. And, and in my mind, I'm like thinking of a 140 acre block of timber that's like, dude, that feel, it feels huge. I could walk for a day and like not cover it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there I feel like, oh, it's yeah. like this little block, and then where do they go, yeah. Where you're at in Iowa, Chris, is it,
2: is it kind of like, uh, you know, when we think Iowa, it's traditional, like lots of coves and small fingers of woods. And that's mainly with the stuff you guys are hunting out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's your traditional Southern Iowa looking stuff. Um, you know, lots of ag land, but you know, fingers and if you get a good chunk of timber, I mean, a lot of deer in it, you know, if you, if you end up with the piece with, you know, 50, 60, 70 acres of timber. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. If you go, so if you go more Eastern Iowa, there's more timber for sure. Um, yeah. But the further West you go, the more, the more desolate it gets.
2: Yeah. We'll be out there Um. hopefully in February, like January, February. We're, we got our fifth point this year. Oh, right on. So we're looking at, uh, at a hunt next year. And mm-hmm. so we've got some ground that we're going to come out and check out. I mean, that'll be our first time ever, you know, mm-hmm. to come out this like right after the season ends, and kind of just poke around and see what's there, kind of get yeah. acclimated. Yep.
1: Right on. Yeah, you guys should hit me up when you when you get out there. We'll connect. Maybe do another podcast in person. Then we
2: realized, dude. Like the more people we talk to, we're like, oh, you're all everybody's from Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody <laughs> except, it's yeah. What, yeah, dude.
1: It's funny. Probably the that's last. the thing, man. A lot of people. A lot of people are in Iowa. A lot of people in Kansas, Illinois, I mean, if you're, if you're in the industry and you're a whitetail guy, I mean, you get, yeah, maybe, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I look at it as you want to, it's, it's just, it's just business at that point, And you want to put as much in your favor as possible. So when you look at States like Iowa, Missouri, even Eastern Nebraska, it's like, if you get yourself there, um, one, you're so close to travel around to other States. And then you know you're also in just good hunting. Yeah,
2: yeah. We definitely suffer from that, man. It's you know as much fun as we have driving out to states like Illinois, and, and we go to, we'll be in Kansas this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a poke. I mean, yeah. dude, it's so we're we're right here by that total archery challenge event in in Pennsylvania. We're like half an hour
0: from there. Sixteen hours to our Kansas nice. spot. Sixteen hours to Kansas. It's you know eight or nine geez. to our Illinois area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's far. I man. mean, you build up a lot of anticipation for it, and when you get there, it's like this is awesome. But I mean, dude, it wears. Oh, well, I mean, you think well, about. Well, you know, it, I you saw it on something. your video there. You drove overnight or whatever to to Ohio. I mean, it's yeah, it's a poke. Every time we go to the Midwest, that's oh, yeah. what it is.
1: I put fifty thousand miles on my truck every year. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts.
0: Yeah, uh, well, and what we keep talking about, and you know, you mentioned like that August September time frame. Like, dude, it's fast too. Like especially if you're talking about the whitetail sign. I mean it's, you know, in most cases October one and then, you know, by the time you get right past Christmas, I mean, it's it's rough in a lot of places. Um so, I mean you're trying to cover ground without stretching yourself too thin in you thank, know, three thank, months. Thank God for Ohio, man. Like that's that's kind of like our our Midwest, I guess
2: so yeah. to speak. Like we, we spent a lot of time in Ohio and it's pretty close. So we're yeah. southwestern PA you know and we don't have to go down this but the only thing that's keeping it from being as good as like where you guys are at is is the baiting thing is pretty is really prevalent in Ohio. Yep. And with the smaller parcel sizes yep. and the you know crossbows are are, are prevalent out here. And and, and all that stuff it's just, it just it does make it tough. I mean it has it takes a toll on the the deer herd but if that were to change, you know th- there would probably be less of a reason for us mm-hmm. to drive to The
0: smaller area. parcel size I think is you know Chris brought that up. That Ohio reflects to me um, again, besides the baiting in, in Iowa of smaller parcel size. it's a lot of forties in Ohio. Yeah. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's got great deer country. It's got really good genetics. I mean, it's got potential. I mean, you go in Columbus, you get those deer to good farm know, five around. plus. Yeah. It's 200 plus inch deer in Columbus mm-hmm. a lot. Um, it's just, you've got 40 acres and, and again, because of the baiting thing, you've got guys killing really good deer on five acres or less because they can put a, a corn pile out and steal them from the hundred acres next to them. Yeah. And that's, that's, it wouldn't happen without that.
2: What, what were we saying the other day on the way home? It's a very, like democratic is not the right word, but a very like uh liberal, like liberal system in that it, like, it seems like it takes from the, the bigger, you know, maybe even uh, better tracts of land and, and evenly distributes like the opportunity a deer yes. to, to all of the smaller ones. Yes. You know, it's like, no, that thousand acre tract it, 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 you know, it doesn't deserve to have all those deer on it. So you level the playing field by allowing all of the, the surrounding, you know, five acre tracks to to put that on there. And it, it definitely distributes the wealth of the resource
0: like uh in that way. Yes. Which yeah. For good or bad. I mean that's that's the question.
1: Yeah. That's no different, you know, that's that's your classic uh you know, you're watching a buck all year on your farm, and then the neighbor on the two acres kills it. Yeah, you know,
0: it's like, That's the story of Jared's your, your, life. Your neighbor
1: with the two acres didn't grow didn't grow that deer. Yeah, yeah story. <laughs> of my life. Basically, story of my life. every
0: year it's like, all right, Jared, which four year olds do you have that you're not going to kill? Great, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a state like Iowa could, or can't, or Ohio rather, could look at a state like
2: Iowa, and, and you know, you guys are obviously doing a lot of stuff right. Yeah. So. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably
0: shooting crossbows. Or or a Matthews, yeah. (laughs) One and the same. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows... I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Uh,
2: Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 in the carbon model. They've since come out with RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a C4 of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and, uh, you know, killing stuff.
0: Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. I was surprised. We read this morning, Chris, that um, the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and then I think it's 23 counties in Minnesota, removed their baiting ban, meaning they're allowing baiting again in those areas. Which was, I thought, interesting yep. considering how yeah. everybody's I mean, they, tightened down.
1: They, well, they get pounded with uh, just bad weather. I yep. think a lot of that has to do with just uh, to sustain the herd. Mm. you know, because people are going to bait. And, uh, I mean, up there, I mean, you get, you get so much snow, Northern Minnesota and the UP. I mean, a lot of times they, they hunker down in the wintertime and I mean, you just get die off. I mean, there's wolves up there too. Yeah, I think it's just like anything to help the deer out at this point. Gotcha. And baiting helps.
0: Yeah. So people could start supplemental feeding and things like that without worry of any, and during the season, obviously from an, enhancement on the hunting side
1: hmm. yeah yeah i mean that's how you know iowa is you can do supplemental feeding like all you know you can do it all year round you can't hunt it off of it it's literally just a supplemental feeding deal gotcha um so i think that's that's good for guys that want to want to run whatever i really don't do anything um except for like after season late just to get some inventory. Um, sure. But I know like Likovsky's, he's doing all sorts of stuff. I mean, he's doing yep. EHD prevention and like he's going all next level on his stuff.
0: Yeah. 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 Bo, we just talked to Bomar. Bomar's kind of doing the same thing. You know, he's got some concoction guys, he mixes they, up. They feed hard
2: during the yeah. off you know, season. That's yeah,
0: expensive it's, too, man. Like oh, super yeah. expensive.
2: Oh, it's basically a livestock operation, you know, it's, it's, yeah you know, a free range, you know, deer raising yeah. machine.
0: Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. That's what it yeah. comes down to. It, so Chris, with your, um, with your hunts this fall, I mean, uh, are, are, do you, do you have a cadence on your YouTube side that you're gearing for a drop, like on those hunts? Cause it sounds like your schedule's hectic and then somehow you got to figure out how to edit it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have, um, like I have a team now, so we can get back from a trip and, uh, you know give footage to we have a, like a full-time editor so nice. he can work on editing and everything and then you know between like a, a field producer and an editor we can kind of very easily get stuff around and, and get stuff scheduled out and everything so yeah it definitely gets hectic but in instilling some sort of program uh the past especially last year we had a really good system down um it really really helps you need a process of some sort i mean we try to do two videos a week all year long. I mean, that just adds up and it wow. catch up quick. Yeah. Um, 104 videos. <laughs> so you need, you need something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, we mess up sometimes and only get one out and you know, push everything back, but we're, we're just refining the program, trying to get it, trying to get it tighter and tighter. And it's tough, man, to like come out with videos that are, you know, as relevant and entertaining and quality and, and it's like a, it's a giant creativity dump. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's sometimes you hit walls and you just like got to mix it up and figure out new things or whatever. So that's why hunting season's really nice. Cause you just go hunting and you document what happens like in this off season. It's a lot of, um, just creating and trying to figure out what could we make this week yeah. for next week or for next month. Um, to keep the, you know, keep the channel going. Like, I know a lot of hunting channels that just put these off season months on pause mm-hmm. and they like maybe upload once a month. And I don't like doing that route just cause we're so uh, archery heavy and there's a lot of archery stuff we can do right
0: now. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Are, are you, when you do your hunts, are you trying to release those like semi real time, like kick it out quick or is it something you hold to like later on?
1: So fortunately, unfortunately uh, working with Matthews, they give me a new bow like Mm. in August. Mm -hmm. So I have to hunt with a new bow August, September, October, keep all that footage. And then we, which is not, which is good and not good because that we can edit all of it, line it all up, schedule it all out like through January really easily. Um, But then it's like, we're filming all this stuff in August, September, October that we can't post. So we got to film stuff that we can post without the bow or whatever, you know, pick up the old bow and, and, and do that. So it's a, mm. it's a, it's definitely a process and a learning curve. So yes and no, to answer mm-hmm. your question. Like we, we spin stuff around fast to keep the channel going, but also have stuff held, held on to. So
0: yeah, that's tough, man. I mean, yeah, it's it, I get run. it from a, from a marketing and, and manufacturer's angle, but from a content producer angle, I mean, you know, especially if you, you know, let's say you kill you know, your goat or whatever, you know, when you're in British Columbia, like, you want to show that and then people are like well cool the video dropping like that's that's just and that's the yep. nature of the content I, machine that we're in today which is people want it now
1: <laughs> instantly yeah they do and I, I don't know i think i think uh people on the channel are getting a little used to like the big stuff dropping in november because it's been like three years now that we've saved everything and started in november when the both launched Gotcha. Um, and I, will always try to do, I'll always try to do like one hunt with uh like a last year's bow just to spin around fast and get out on the channel or whatever. Um, but yeah, man, it definitely makes it difficult to, to wait that long. Hmm. Yeah. That's
2: wild. I don't even know how you would do that.
0: seems like a very intentional thing. You're like, well, I stress, can't stress
1: it's stressful.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah cuz I mean if it's if it's me right and it's September October I want to watch hunting gotta be I want to see your hunts there's like be be- there's
2: going <laughs> to be a better way
0: I don't know It it, it is funny though man like Yeah think, man I mean think of the archery side and Chris you've been out long enough like you remember when we went to ATA show in January and like the bows were covered up like waiting for somebody to like pull down like some curtain to like reveal the bow like it was a big big deal and then now it's just like slowly but yeah. surely just creeped up and and spread out. Like yeah. by the time you get to ATA, like you yeah. know, you probably already shot the bow.
1: Yeah, I mean it's <clears throat> it, the evolution of uh, the marketing around bows is really really interesting. Um, the the business of the art of the archery space is is also very interesting. It's very archaic. Yeah, I like to think of it like five to ten years behind normal business I like to call it Mm -hmm. which is like out in the wild yeah and I think that has a lot to do with um a lot of people that are in charge of companies and running things are just like good old outdoor country boys yeah and in the real world they're uh it's more just like business people and you know it's not necessarily their niche and their hobby uh, but they're just running businesses um where I think in the archery world and hunting world it's it's their hobby and their baby and their brainchild, and they also are running it. Um, and therefore, uh, I've noticed a lot of people are stubborn and behind on their ways. I mean, there's some some people still that are like, I need to get my Instagram up and running like for their company. And it's like, what do you, like you're, you're 10 years behind, you need, be, you need to be thinking like all sorts of different stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah it's, but Bose, Bose specifically, um, it worked out really well with launching at like ATA show, like 15 years ago. Yeah, You wait till January one, this big reveal at ATA show in person, because at the ATA show is where dealers buy all of their inventory. So it was like release and buy. And it's like, you had to buy in person because there wasn't such thing as like an efficient way to buy it on the internet. You could call in. So like that whole process was awesome. But, lo and behold, this internet thing come around and telephones and email and, you know, all that progressed. And now it's like a dealer can just enter into a dealer portal and order stuff whenever they want. So ATA show is not relevant really anymore on a dealer perspective because they don't really buy anything at dealer, you yeah. know, in person anymore. Some people still do. I think definitely the more archaic people do that don't necessarily want to go online, go on websites and, like that face-to-face uh, communication, which is great. I think there still is a need for that, um, but it's it's changing. And, and therefore, bow companies are switching to earlier and earlier to get marketing out and exposure prior yeah. to ATA show, so that when they show up to ATA show, they're ready to buy and they already know. So it's just like this weird like backwards uh, race and yeah. uh, you know, they're, let's say like this year's, they're going to come out with like all bow manufacturers are going to come out with 2024 bows, but it's still 2023 mm-hmm. for 2024. You know, it's just like, it's just like trucks.
0: Yep, you know, they release line.
1: trucks in the fall and then they don't get them out until, you know, springtime really to yep. everyone. Um, so it's like that weird lag and uh, yeah, and it's just a weird, just a weird thing uh, when, when you break it down.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another industry that's changed so much. Like, dude, I think, uh, and I don't love the way that I mean, it seems like we were so bass backwards for the longest time to where, like, up up until like 2010, like you could almost say like there was no marketing in the outdoor industry. It just simply was paying people that were on the outdoor channel to like. That's it. It was like purely sponsorships. I mean, yeah, there was. Magazine there, there were, ads, mag- yeah, magazines. There were some other print stuff, yeah. and like, but it wasn't really until the you know the invention of the internet that these companies had the ability to like create their own content and start to like cr- create their own presence. And like, we still are in a process of pulling away from that. It's like even now, when I hear people are like, "Oh yeah, you know, we we you know, thirty grand or so and so," they're on the pursuit channel. I'm like, what? I, yeah, that's it's
0: still, not still as around,
2: common. It's like, not as common. No, anymore. no, it's definitely less and
0: less. Yeah, but, but it, it did exist. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think I think TV shows um, I think TV shows are really responsible for a lot of that lag um, because P- so many TV shows were tied up in these big contracts and and these companies were investing a lot of money into these TV shows as their main marketing focus and would sign like five-year deals but TV really died it two years into that five-year deal or yeah. whatever it was and it's like they were just hanging on and then they would You know, re-sign and do that whole deal. So it really, I think, drug it out um, longer than you know other TV sectors. I mean, I I don't even know. There's so many personal endorsements. I mean, think about other sports. It's not like they have a TV show and they're making money off the TV show.
0: No, it's just personal. You know,
1: they're in sport sporting networks and it's personal endorsement.
0: Um, Yeah, I think the TV shows five to ten years behind. I think the TV show in the outdoor industry. Was what caused this weird launch and lag on the manufacturing side. Because, like, I would film my shows in the fall, but they didn't air till the next year. So it didn't matter when I released the bow yeah. because my marketing wasn't going out to the next year, anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, now, you know, Chris filmed something, he could put it out today. And there it is
2: right in your face well who were some of the first guys that were i mean Wink, winky comes to mind it's like who were some of the first guys that were doing real-time content like i assume they just weren't shooting the new bows yeah. they weren't using yeah. the new stuff
0: yeah right. right yeah and we well we were still we were well, on he that was, january he was with like launch
1: hoyt. side. he yeah. was with hoyt yeah so hoyt is hoyt historically uh has not been able to like get early bows like super early mm. um that's that's why like Matthews is really the only bow company that can get bows out to guys in the field super early, mm. just because they have manufacturing dialed. They just have all their manufacturing stuff dialed so much. I mean, they do such a great job at that. But they can they can spin stuff up, turn them um, around. But a lot of these bow yeah. manufacturers, it's like they're making they're making the flagship bow until you know it's just tighter schedules or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's there's so much logistics in the back end to get that all figured out.
0: I think a lot of Winky's early stuff so, was still when to, we were January launch ATA as well. Yeah.
1: But yeah. I You know, he might have got a bow in December yeah. and held some stuff. I think that's pretty typical <laughs> of companies. It's like you get stuff in December. Or
2: whatever. It, yeah. it may have been Bill as much as it was the company. It just was sitting on Very a couch possible. in his office. For it was a, it months. was a
0: weight bench in his office. That's <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah, with with his brown gloves laying on it. Yeah, yeah.
2: it um, definitely is interesting. I mean, I can, I can tell Chris, you're really intrigued by like the 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 marketing shift that's happened here in the industry, and it and it is crazy. Like, did we talk about like what what other I, even to go back to I, motocross, for whatever reason, it's one that stands out to me. Maybe it's just, it's, per, it's an extreme sports type of deal, but like, it's so, or it was so centered around like the endorsement of, but, but where, where else was like the content producer buying the spot? No, nowhere. Is, we it, were the only industry that's to what do was, that, that shit. That's <laughs> what was so weird. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: It's like, well, no, you have to pay me to put it on yeah. my platform. Yeah. And Professional.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like professional archery. I could see being compared to motocross or NASCAR or something. It's like, it's an event. It's a singular event that they're trying to win and they can get endorsements and sponsors for that.
0: Yeah.
1: But hunting, having a TV show, I mean, people only had a TV show because there was no YouTube. There was no way to show the content to the people. I mean, no one's a professional, professional, you know, at hunting there. There's no like, awards there's no competition sure there what about the like gold golden you, know, you just go hunting right <clears throat> well that's more that's film related yeah, yeah you know that's that's film related and tv show related and the producer and it's not like it's not like well this person shot a 200 inch deer and so we're going to sponsor this person and there's going to be a bidding award and blah 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 there essentially is, but it's more so around the creation of the content yeah. and distribution of the content. For sure, not just the act activity itself. itself. Yeah, like there could be, there could be an archery competition or motocross competition that has like a hundred thousand people in the stands and doesn't get filmed mm-hmm. and doesn't get distributed, and that person's still valuable, right? You know, yeah. But there's so many people out in the wild that shoot hundred and eighty inch deer that companies are not that are not paying and are not looking for and are not looking to, you know what I'm trying to say, it's it's the act of promoting that gets the attention. It's, yes. it's you know, obviously it helps shooting big deer and stuff, but there's no one, no one's quote unquote like a professional at it. It's, it's people are good at distributing and distributing content and in the perfect storm of making a good experience with a big deer or a, a big elk or whatever, that's, that's the magic triangle is when all those things align. Mm. Um,
2: It's not just one of them. It's Hmm. really weird to think about how that process would have evolved. Like at what what point did, and I don't know, like who would have done it first, but like who decided that that's how it should work? Like the content producer should pay to be on this platform. It seems like the manufacturers would have gone to them first and said like, Hey, like you, you kill a lot of big deer, like exactly what you're saying. Like, could, would you mind promoting our stuff just even out of a bow shop? And eventually they're like, well, I need to like more yeah. people need to see this stuff so I can sell mm-hmm. more of that stuff and make more money. Well,
0: there was nowhere to go. Like if you were, if you were a hunter, right. If you, if you just killed big bucks, like, and whoever Matthews or Hoyt said, great, you know, we want to be partners with you. Mm-hmm. How how are they getting seen, right? It, so and, you know that, yeah, that I think it, I think
1: in the good old days, I think in the good old days that kind of happened. Like Michael Waldell has talked about, like he was just a camera guy, but was a funny, good personality. Yep. So like Realtree kind of like pushed him, pushed him up, and uh, I think Likoski was very similar with Matthews. Like they saw Likoski like you know, like hey, he's filming yep. himself, shooting big deer. We're going to like, you know, help push them up. So I think that was definitely a thing uh, back then. It's, it's I think, evolved. Everything's evolved.
0: Yeah. Now it's like, what do you bring to the table? Before, you could just be good at something. You could be funny. You could kill big bucks. You could be very relatable. Now it's like, okay, you could be that, but what's your platform like? And I mean, think of anybody of us that have talked to manufacturers. Like, it's one of the first things they ask. Or they do research. They're like, oh, Chris B., like... How many followers does he have? Mm -hmm. And that's what they do immediately, you know? And then it's like, okay, he's got a platform. Now what can he do for us? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a numbers game is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there are few companies that are still holding on to this whole TV thing. Like it's going to happen, but it's it's it's, it's, not there. It's been (laughs)
2: interesting to see manufacturers like kind of scramble like over the past 10 years to just be like, well, you know, all they knew was TV. Like that's Mm -hmm. all in TV and print. And it was like, here's the budget. Give it to these guys that are on Sportsman or Outdoor yeah, Channel. It's gone. And now that's like, you know, an acknowledgement that, okay, maybe that's not the thing. So
0: so what is? It's, it's been interesting to see companies
2: scram- scramble to figure out You would think that they're saving money next. now,
0: right? I mean, because we, we know some of the numbers that were being thrown out back in the TV and print days. Like, now they've kind of got this budget. They don't have to commit it, you know, months and months and months in advance, really, if they don't want to. They can be opportunistic with the spend. Um, and you could be selective with who you're doing. I, you know, I think that their marketing is probably more effective than it's ever been. Sure. I would agree. If they're doing it right. Yeah, I would agree. But yeah, it's, it's tough. There still are companies though that, you know, I don't, if you tell them that you're, if, if Chris walks up to them and says, Hey, I'm Chris, you know, I've got a YouTube channel. It's, you know, got 250,000 plus. They still will say, well, YouTube's free. You don't pay to be on a platform. And they're out there, and it's scary to think less that. and less. I do think those it is less and less companies, but are they kinda still dying exist
2: off. out there. And it's scary to think that it's hard to deny. You know the, the amount of views and awareness that like so, social media can, can bring. It's, but I, it wasn't valued for a long. I know. even
0: in the transition when the break started to happen and TV started to get pulled back, there were a lot of companies who would not acknowledge that social media or YouTube followers were of the same worth as a TV show.
2: Well, it definitely is a shorter form. I mean, it's it's a
0: it's a different thing, like Yeah, but know. it was purely because T V paid to be on something. They had an investment to be on somewhere. Yeah. And YouTube was free. Yeah. Still is. Still is. <laughs> yeah, still is. Yeah. For now. Yeah, for now, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Did you uh did you sign up your threads yeah. account yet, Chris?
1: I, I did uh, just to claim my username or whatever that is. I don't know. I was like, I was on Instagram last night and like everyone's posting about it. Like, I what is
0: that? I have no idea what this is, but
1: sure. You it's, know.
0: it's uh Meta's response it's, uh, to Twitter to basically try to stomp out Elon Musk in Twitter. It's so it's a text base. It's Twitter, but by Facebook uh, and Instagram. I'm not on Twitter either. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. that's what this is. Uh, yeah. I, I, figured, dude, I it, yeah. It's
2: funny enough, like I can't remember, was, I don't know, five, six years ago. I literally thought Twitter was dead and gone. I thought it was like, oh, nobody used it anymore. It kind of
0: was. Yeah. And then Elon bought it and now everybody's all fired back up. No, I'm talking it. way before that. I'm talking like
2: Elon only bought it like two a, a year or two yeah, ago. Yeah, a year or two ago. Yeah, this would have been like six, seven years
0: ago. Like if you would have asked me, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, nobody uses uh, Twitter. I think just the Hollywood people with all their yeah, fake, yeah. fake trolls I I underneath like, it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the problem. That's what. Right. They kind of sniffed out. But apparently, they think that it's a- enough that you know Facebook created a new app, which is mind blowing. That's you know, just what we need. Another, another social app. media Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, <laughs> you know, but follow Chris B if you're on it. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. I don't know, man. It, the bandwidth is so. Oh such a tricky thing. I mean, there's so many things. Like, like I, I, I wanted to spin up, I did a podcast like two years ago and we did like 30 episodes and then it's like so much other stuff got in the way and yeah, we just haven't, haven't done it again because it takes so much time. It's like, how much stuff can you do in a day? You can, man, I mean. Now, now I gotta pay attention to threads.
0: Yeah, it, it's nuts. I mean, Jared and I, well, Jared and I transparently started Hunter to kind of do what you do on your channel, which was create video content around hunting and our journey and everything else. And, like, seven days into it, we're like... That was the idea. Yeah, we're done. Like,
2: it would be cool to film hunts, you know? And then we're like, no, not cool. <laughs> not cool. Not cool. <laughs> not cool. Can we
0: just sit at a table and talk about it? Yeah, we could do that. It's so. a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we've been doing that for two and a half years now. <laughs> <laughs> so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is, man. It's a, it's a ton of work. It sounds great, like, in, in theory. And, uh, there, you know, there's a ton of people probably listening to this that are filming hunts just for fun. And, and I think that's really cool, but you know, when you've got an audience or an expectation that you have to deliver out there, it is not easy. And it it will change the way you you think about hunting, uh, inevitably just because, you know, there's a responsibility of like, man, I got to get this on film or we need to capture this, or I got to get this post out. Like, yeah, it's a different mindset for sure. I
2: think it takes a special person too. Like, it's funny, (laughs) Chris, and you're probably one of them. It's like, and I'm just not like, if I'm just honest with myself, I'm like, I just, I would struggle to like consistently come up with videos and film those. And some people are just, just have that, you know what I mean? Can, can do it consistently and find ways to make things entertaining. And I just, yeah. But you know, whatever it was a couple weeks into our filming our stuff, I was like, this is not for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, man. It's tricky. I mean, I think you
1: you have to love it. You got to love the process of filming and editing and everything, especially at first when it's like you're starting out. And I mean, there's um, I was talking to this group of guys. It's like, how how long did it take before it was like something? And I'm like, 10 years, you know, yeah. 10 years of pretty good dedication, you know, and, you know, year seven, eight, nine, ten 10 was like a lot of work, you know, mm. and um, and it's it's just you got to love it. And, uh, it's like now, now you get it, you build a good team around you and it, that helps for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's a lot of work.
2: Well, yeah. that's cool to hear. I mean, not that it, it took that long, but I mean, for us, it's like Jeremy and I, we do love this. You know what I mean? We, we kind of, like I said, we started with the filming thing and we're like, eh, but we still really wanted to be involved. Like we wanted to ha- have a voice in the industry to t- talk about things that we're passionate about and connect with people who are, you know, like-minded and like, so we just kind of settled into this yeah. and we're like, well, this makes the most sense for for us. And even this morning I told Jeremy, I was like, dude, this is like, this is my favorite thing to do every week is to come mm-hmm. in and, and, you know, it t- takes a lot of time to your point, but to set aside a few hours and just t- talk with people who are yeah. like minded about things that we love to talk about. And so we, whatever it is, not like there is an end goal with this podcast in mind, but like th- the path is seeming right to us. Like mm-hmm. it feels like this is something that we love to do. And it seems other people seem to enjoy it, which is, which is cool. And so it will be fun to see kind of where this thing goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: you gotta, yeah, you man. know, only it's so a, much time in the it's day. A grind. Yeah. There's only so much time in the day and, you know, and especially when it gets to be hunting season, like inevitably, like we want to hunt as well, you know? And so it's like, you know, you've got to divide that up. And, uh, I think that's probably one thing that, that Matt Ronella didn't get from our side that, you know, it's hard to explain to somebody who's not in it is the fact like, you know, listen, like we're all in one way or another, the outdoor industry is providing income for for us and for our families, right? And so, you know, it's a tough thing to explain to somebody who only looks at the monetization of the hunting industry as a bad thing. Like it's negative, it's not good. Whereas it's like, well, dude, like we love this stuff and we appreciate this stuff, you know, more than most people do. And yes, there there's a monetary aspect to what we do, but at the same time, like it's not exactly why we do it. Like, yeah, it's great. Like, we make money from it. And I'm glad this is my job. Um, but it's also, you know, there's still that great appreciation. Like, I don't consider myself an entertainer, and right? I consider myself still a hunter just talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you kind of got that feeling for Matt where he's just like, well, no, anybody that's making money off of this is like bad doing it for the wrong reasons. it's like, yeah, "Eh, not really, man. Like there's plenty of people that, yeah, they'll admit it's a business, but it's, they're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely tricky. That goes into everything we talked about earlier. I mean, it's, I think there's people that are in it for the wrong reasons, for sure. I think there are some people that probably shouldn't be in the positions that they're in, um, for egotistical reasons and selfish reasons. Um, but I think there's a, most, the majority of people like you guys and, and, you know, so many people out there that are doing it for the good reasons because they love it because they want to get back to the sport, uh, grow the sport, um, you know, I, I think that I, I think it's just a tricky subject
0: Yeah, really is. I think there's the the consumer or the audiences in terms of content are getting smarter or are smart enough to understand who are the people that really love it and who the people are just doing it because it's their job type of thing. You can just tell, you know. It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, Because I mean, I it's probably just
2: because I actively avoid them. But I mean, if you were (laughs) to ask me, I I don't know if I could name anybody that I'm like, oh, that person's just clearly doing it for for that. I mean, because everybody that we've and we have a filtering process, too, though. We're like, well, I want to talk to so-and-so because they clearly love it. Mm-hmm. So, we, we, I don't know.
0: Yeah, we avoid the In the very
2: nature of our process, we're probably filtering those people out, I guess. Well, I
0: mean, y- you know, we have good conversations with, um, you know, even guys like L, right, who hasn't been on the podcast yet but inevitably will at some point. But you and I have talked about it to where it's like, you know, Michael is what you get, but – Michael's very rooted in the industry, so there are talking points that he, I don't know, maybe if we asked him the question, would it make him uncomfortable, or you know, would he would he be able to tell us what he actually feels? Mm. I don't know, you know, and 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 that's with anybody with sponsors, partners, um, you know, whatever would would come with that. I yeah, guess.
2: well, and that's like a, you know, that that's not necessarily some, you know, I, I think Michael loves to hunt. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think there's, no doubt there's any mind. question there. Yeah, you're talking more about just like the effect that sponsorship dollars have on what you can say and what you can not say.
0: Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, I think with anybody that has, you know, sponsor dollars behind them, it's like, you know, we're pretty transparent with our partners of like, hey, we're just going to kind of say what we say anyways. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. just, just fair warning. Um, yeah, and we definitely, ha- you know, have not gotten some sponsorships because of that, because it's
2: like, you know, sure. If I, I get it, if I was manufacturer, I'd want you to say that. I want you to say, Hey, our thing is
0: this, Yeah, well, and I, we're just not willing to we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a tough spot to be in. Um, look, Chris, so are you still making your own products too? Do you have like your own line of products?
1: Yeah. So, um, we have uh, b roll merchcom which is like, uh, the apparel line, I guess of the YouTube channel. Yeah. So we do, you know, hats, hoodies, your, your typical apparel stuff. Um, but then, you know, we partner with other archery brands, uh, ultra being the visit the biggest. Um, so we'll do some custom stuff. So like we got a custom Matthews grip and, and uh, we're, we'll resell some of those products and then we partner with boning to do like wraps and veins and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. So yeah, we do, uh, a few things here and there um just you know try to help the business out and you know uh hardcore fans can wear the stuff and everything so it's cool it's all it's all about community building you know it's like um people that are on the channel watching the channel regularly it's like we're all we're a community like it's sweet that people follow along and if they want to be a part of that um part of that journey you know so it's like it's just creating an ecosystem
0: yeah i dude i think that right there. Is the number one thing that was missing from outdoor television. I mean, in any given time, I could tune into a show and I would have a beginning, middle, and an end. I didn't have to watch the show before. I didn't have to watch the show after if I didn't want to. Right? I got it was all in, encapsulated in this you know 22 minute episode. Whereas with the content that's coming out now, um, and Chris, you and Caitlin, good examples, but. Like, I want to, even though the hunt may be encapsulated in that episode, like, it's super easy for me to go back and watch the last three or the last 10 or whatever that came out. And you didn't have that in outdoor television. You had one episode to watch and then it was like, I got to wait till next week. Or did I record something? Like, it, it disconnected you from the content and that disconnection, you know, is, and this isn't just in hunting, right? It's why Netflix and Hulu and everything else are good, but from a hunting side, that's what the series kind of based content and this channel-based content has done. I mean, we've seen it on the podcast where— Yeah, it's you a know, channel versus bring, a show. Yeah, yeah. somebody watch Chris's, and then they'll go back and say, oh, here's one with, with Cody DeCusto, or here's one with Josh Bomar, and they'll watch—that didn't exist for so many years with TV— um, but what it did is it gave power to these TV personalities cause there were no other options. Mm-hmm. It was like that you, there was one episode, they were in it, this product was in it. And I mean, if you didn't see it in that show, tough shit, right. Didn't show up anywhere else. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a huge yeah. swing in this, in this industry. Huge. Mm. I mean, if I can say anything for social media, it's like, in
2: that sense, it kind of gave the power back to, you know to, to the people, essentially. It's like, you know, uh, you know, people like Chris B or like, you know, Jared Jeremy can just get on and make, make their own channel. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of, you know, now people do have
0: options. So I would say that's one benefit. Well, and Chris, I don't know about you, but Jared and I are pretty open about it. Like we'll watch a lot of, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way. Anyone listen, but watch a lot of random guy guys, you know, hunting content out there. Like some dude will go hunt North Dakota or go hunt Illinois or in He's got 15 subscribers, but he had a cool video. And it's like, you never see that anywhere else, like wouldn't exist. He'd have no, no platform to even reach out there to, to show people that content. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, it's, it's definitely like a power of the people situation. I mean, that's social media in general, unless you're, you know, buying your accounts and pumping dollars in and artificially like making yourself big. Yeah. um, if, if you are small grassroots um, and, I mean, the people kind of choose, and I think that is – it shows why I said it's like most people are good because, like, uh, the consumers are smarter than, you know, companies think and, and they, they can see through stuff, you know. I mean, they, they want to see guys, like, having a good time and, and seeing, like, relatable stuff um, and aspirational stuff and educational stuff um yeah and they they that's why youtube's cool you know and it's it's there's so many threats to social media as a whole i mean so many back end things that you know us youtubers talk about like behind the scenes where it's like you got to kind of pay attention to those like demonetization and like is stuff getting banned and all that jazz but mm-hmm. um at the end of the day like as long as there is a platform that'll reach people um in good light and get new eyeballs that haven't seen hunting before, seen archery before. You know, maybe they're interested in it and want to learn more. As long as there's a platform out there that we can be on, I don't, I don't really care. Like, it's still, it's still going. Like, if my channel gets demonetized tomorrow, hopefully not. But if it does, it's like I'm not going to go anywhere because my mission from this is not to make money off of the channel. Right. It's to uh, show what I've experienced through hunting and archery, and I'm still going to do it. I'm not literally not going to change anything. And I think people get, you know, some of these bigger channels get so tied up. It's like, oh, if I lose monetization, everything's going to change. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, nothing's going to change if, if that happens to my channel tomorrow, because my mission statement and my goals and my ethics doesn't revolve around the money coming in from that channel. That's not one of my foundational things. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, as long as YouTube doesn't get canceled altogether, which is the world's probably ending or something bad's happening, if that's happening. Um, and you know, things like TikTok or other threads now, you know, like there's always going to be something. So it's like, I think what's most important is, is you have these foundational pillars and the consumers and the viewers see that in these channels and they gravitate towards them for a certain reason.
0: Yeah. So Chris, I think that's a good point because, you know, there are a lot of channels that are very, um, prominent that probably rely almost exclusively, um, on the money coming from that channel um, or, or in large part over it. Right. And to me, man, that if that's how my family supported, I'm shitting a brick because you are not going to control what YouTube does, you know, no matter how big you think you are, you know, they want to demonetize you and shut you down. They will. And if that's your, your money source, I think that's an issue. One thing I think would be cool for people to hear. Um, you know, I just look, you're at like 245,000 subscribers, can, in you started just like everybody else. that You basically said, hey, I'm going to start a channel and I'm going to start putting hunts on it. And, you know, probably had no idea what the hell you were doing out of the gate. You just started doing it. Do you remember any, like, pivotal moments over the last, whatever, five ten years to where you, like, saw your channel grow over something that you're like, damn, like, that's, that's wild. Not necessarily just, like, a viral moment, but, like, just when you started to yeah. hit a rhythm of something.
1: Yeah. I think consistency is the biggest thing. As soon as you put some sort of schedule and consistency on uh, your channel or any sort of channel, I mean, you see traction. Yep. Um, so I remember it was my sophomore year in college. I actually dropped all of my classes uh, in <laughs> <Okay>. like September, <laughs> like the last day, the last day I could drop them without having to pay for them sort of thing. And I uh, didn't tell my parents. And I like just went out west and went all over the place and filmed, I think it was like 15 episodes and uh, filmed them, um, edited them, like did the whole deal. And that was the first time it was like, oh, wow, I'm getting like 5,000 hits a video. And it's like, oh, one did like 10,000, you know? So it was like, that was like, wow, okay, maybe we have something here. And so then that kind of started like every fall, then I definitely put more emphasis on filming um, and then definitely uh, filmed more like archery stuff and everything like that that's cool. Um, early on, uh, fortunately we kind of hit a rhythm early. We would make these funny videos with a group of archery friends and it, they kind of took off. Like I posted just a few of them and like one or two of them took off and got a lot of views. Um, so that definitely put a base on my channel. Like we probably got one to 5,000 subscribers pretty fast. Um, and then, you know, it had something to kind of grow off of, but, I think consistency is the biggest thing. I mean, there's, you can Google it and YouTube it. I mean, it's no different than any other YouTube channel. You have consistency to build the community and viral stuff to pull in new eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, it's no no different. So it's, it's just putting in the time and the effort and nothing's overnight. And, uh, the first thousand is the hardest and the next 10,000 is the next hardest. And then a hundred thousands, the next, next hardest. And then after a hundred thousand, it's been just kind of coasting, just very linear. Yeah. So i um, been very fortunate, very blessed <laughs> that we've been able to keep it rocking.
0: That's cool, man. I mean, it, it it's, um, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people, probably young people, listening to this that are like, "Yeah, I'd love to start it. I just don't know." And it, you know, we always say, "You just got to, you got to jump in. Just got, just do it, man. Just jump in there and start, start doing something." You know, you sitting around not not doing anything isn't going to get you anywhere yeah. quick. So, um, but that's cool to see how it is. Uh, how and I think it good.
1: Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say that the biggest, the biggest thing is, is like you have to go into it with intentions of just loving it. loving the process and wanting to like film your hunts and just hunting in general like you can't love the fact of like doing it as your job or you probably will never get there sure if you go in it's 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 no different than shooting a bow i mean shooting competitions and archery is so mental like if you if you step up to the line and you're like i am going to shoot a 10 right now i'm going to shoot a 10 i'm going to hope for a 10 you're your chances of actually shooting that 10 have lessened because you haven't worried about the process. If you worry about the process to get to the 10, then you'll get to the 10. But, or if you step up to the line and be like, I'm going to shoot a 300, which is a perfect score. Like on the first arrow, you're going to, you're going to, all you're going to do is think about the angle angle angle. So you gotta, it's no different than that. I mean, you gotta think about the process and and love the process. So it's no different than anything in life. Um, you know, you, you just, you just got to really love the process. Mm.
0: So what do your parents think now that, uh, after that,
1: <laughs> I mean, they, I, I, still don't think they fully understand uh, <laughs> everything that's going on. Um, yeah. it's, you know, it's like, yeah, I make money off of YouTube and this made up stuff, but they were definitely skeptical at first. I mean, I was like, um, going to college and I like dropped out that, that semester. And then I like moved back in with my parents and I was like shipping all of my merch out of like the spare bedroom of their house and like filming in the backyard and like running all over the place.
2: They're like, what are we and gonna just, do about just like, yeah. like I was just, <laughs> yeah, like a little worried, you know? Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, I was just learning, man. I mean, it was all about like staying up till 1, 2 AM, learning about like, you know, Facebook marketing. And it's just like, it's so wild that you do have to put in a lot of work to yeah. understand everything. Um, and I was just lucky, lucky, and fortunate, and blessed that I had like that drive earlier on, like in my high school and college career, to kind of like figure that out. That like straight out, like I've never had a real job. Like I've always worked for myself, or like partnered with with companies, of course. But I've never been, I've never had a real job because we've just, took, you know, from I didn't even graduate from college. I dropped out of college because it was ramping up enough where I was like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna rip, rip at this. Yeah. So. That's funny, man. Um, yeah, it's been it's been it's been a wild deal. Your dad's
0: like, "Don't you lie to me? You got one of those OnlyFans accounts, don't you? <laughs> Are you showing your butt <laughs> on the internet?" <laughs> uh, 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 oh, that's funny. Yeah, man. Only if. Yeah. Well, listen, dude, we appreciate you coming on this afternoon and uh, you know sharing some time with us and um it, it is funny dude we i feel like how many times we we see something on kansas we're like god damn crispy freaking ruining it for everyone but uh <laughs> it, i mean it's undeniably yeah. like one of the best videos you know hunting videos that's probably ever been out on on youtube i mean very few that i think can rival that kind of weird feeling and you know the the fact of how it all played out you know um it just tells anybody that can happen at any time, you know. You just yeah. sometimes you just run into it in the yeah. right place, right time. Yeah, and the
2: channel continues to be entertaining. I know Jeremy and I, you know, I tune think. in, tune in from time to time, and so so we enjoy all the stuff you're putting out,
0: except for the Matthew stuff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's all of it,
0: Jeremy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, thanks, guys. I I I really appreciate that. I mean, the super kind words, and I mean that's what sometimes you get in these like these uh you know, highs and lows of channel and creativity and everything. And it's like, you know, when you hear stuff like that, it like keeps the fire going for sure. Um, yeah, but the, the Kansas, I mean, it proves and shines light on the feeling that all of us get when you sit in a tree, knowing that you have a potential to shoot a big deer.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: That's what that hunt was. It was like, I'm in Kansas. I could shoot a giant deer right now
0: tonight
1: yeah. and then it happened, but it doesn't always happen. but that feeling is that feeling is always there yeah. and that's what's awesome. about You that. could
0: tell man in that video it it encapsulates the feeling we all have of like it could what happen. if it's like the it's Kansas yeah, it could happen. I'm in the game mm-hmm. like it it very well could happen, you know and for a lot of people yeah it, you know yeah. it doesn't work out that way, but when it does, that feeling is something that's hard to hard to describe. Well cool dude. 100%. Well we appreciate it and uh, we'll definitely have to catch up with you here soon.
1: Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate
0: it. All right, man. See ya. Uh, yeah. Oh, Chris B blaming blaming him for Kansas one one year at a time. I do like his analysis of that video
2: of like it's it embodies that that mindset of like, I'm in Kansas, it's the rut, anything could happen. And it very rarely does. You know, 99% of the time, it's like, you know... It's planned. You go home... It's not staged. No, no, no. I was going to say 99% of the time, it's like, you go home empty-handed or whatever. You think that, but yeah, it doesn't... But that 1% of the
0: time, what happened to Chris B could could happen to you.
2: And that's uh, that's what made that video go viral.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, in that same breath, a powerful statement is, is like, you know, it it for sure did have an effect on applications. Yeah, COVID did as well. no doubt. No doubt That, that, that that was a big piece, but... Well, that's kind of the question we circled last week. It's like, is, I don't, and I told Chris
2: on the, the podcast, I don't think he did anything wrong. Like, it's not inherent. No. I, I don't, you
0: know, what are you supposed to do? Not post it? No. Like, it's it that's, yeah. To me, it's no different than people saying, well, whoever, ex-land agent, whitetail properties, whatever, is increasing the value of land. Like, well, no, the market, the demand, the people it Yeah, are, uh, Right. In the sense that people are going to find out anyways. They're going to find out anyways. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, it's just, it, it. it's a great piece of content. It's like, you know, whatever, a moth to the flame type of thing. Like, you're just drawn in because it's a great piece of content. And inevitably, it immediately says, well, hey, you could do this. Yeah. If you wanted to, you could come on here. You could apply for a tag. You could sit in a tree and you could see a giant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that, uh, it'll wear off here at some point because people will start to have the experiences of like, either that's not what it is. It costs too much. They see, just see a ton of people like the, the, the nuance of it will, will wear off and something new will come, come along. Like Ohio will do it or whatever, you know, Illinois will do it and people be drawn in. Um, but yeah, it's weird. I think
2: people will start to. I don't know if it's like a self censorship, but but maybe in a sense it's like I think people realize like even Chris will think twice. He's like I don't know like you know it's cool that I posted that and like I you know I a lot of people really enjoyed it, but also he's like I went back the next year and it really sucked like mm-hmm. indirect indirect, indirect. But yeah but yeah I th- I think people I think people across the board will start to like just consider the way they talk about spots.
0: Well, so I think this ties back into what I said about the TV and his series like. Had you watched a single episode of Chris killing that giant, you'd be like, well, that area of Kansas is banging. There are giants there. But because of the way his channel goes out, watch what happened a year later. It was not a good experience. Mm-hmm. And so that continued journey. Yeah, and that's deer hunting in general. I mean, yes, there are certain
2: states, certain regions that time after time, you know, historically had bigger. deer. But it it definitely is cyclical. Like even Mm -hmm. you know spots dry up and other spots turn on and like EHD
0: pressure whatever things happen.
2: Just even seasonal like crop rotations and like little minor things. It's Mm -hmm. like you really do. Yeah, if you're going to consistently be having the best experience, uh, you know, or or beyond year basically, um, you have to be. Evolving and 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 always monitoring and and there probably is big picture patterns that happen. Like everyone, you sure. Know, you're like okay, you know this this area is turning back on, you know, and maybe you start to critique as to why that might be. But
0: yeah, it's an interesting thing on it. But you know, uh, Chris has obviously done a really good job. I was glad he kind of answered that YouTube thing because I think a lot of people, including us, are like, well, you know, here we are at this, and like, what do we need to do different? It's just time. You you hear that kind of through a lot of these guys it who have him successful ten, ten channels. Ten years to build what he has. Now. Bomars the same way. Just it just takes time to build these things up, yeah. you know, and um, and consistency of content. And so these things, I think, being communities, like that's what Chris hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. He's like,
2: just building a pool of people who are like, uh, you know, into the way that you're thinking or talking about things, or like the way the way that you put content together. Like it's just it is cool. Like I I think that's one thing that. Um, you know, as many downsides as there are is that social media has mm-hmm. allowed. is like, there's these kind of like networks of, of people who are like, well, I really enjoy, you know, the hunting public. That's, I can relate to that. That's, this is my thing. And there's a, obviously a giant community for that. And Chris Bees is, is, you know, similar to that. And, and I like to think, you know, people listening to our practice is like, yeah, i like the way Jared and Jeremy think about things. Mm-hmm. It's like they're they ask a lot of dumb questions and like they're idiots on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. But uh, you know <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I think I think it is a good point. I do think that those platforms and and things like Chris and Josh Bomar and these other guys are it, they're only going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. That, you know, these channels aren't because of algorithms and the number of people right the supply into them. You know, channels aren't growing like they used to. We talk about it all the time. It's like, hey, if you open a Facebook page, man, it used to be you could grow that Facebook page fast. Now it's like a pay to play game. It's slow slow rolling because it's saturated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where we're at right now. And so these guys who have positioned themselves for a long time and people who are new who stick with it for a long time, those will be the ones that succeed. And then there's this other layer underneath that that's like come and go, come and go, inconsistent posting, whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, it is it is absolutely more difficult, I think, in today's uh, social media or YouTube era to grow your channel or, or your page. But I think when you do grow it to that level, it is worth way more because it's so hard to get there. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that those hold a lot of weight. And, you know, I think that's why you see these kind of repeat visitors coming back for well, for that, that's like because Chris. there's so many options. You know, think about how many
2: videos get uploaded thousands of hours probably a day get uploaded to YouTube. Millions. And so if you can grow a channel like today, it's like you're competing against that, you know, for, for people's attention basically. Yep. Um, and, and not that we view this as, as a competition or, or any of these guys do, but, like, it just speaks to the fact that, like, you could watch anything you want. Like, there's sure. literally a limited, you know, and so it's it's kind of a, a capitalist type of a, mm-hmm. you know, where where only the, the, the best, you know, the, the most uh, identifiable communities, like, kind of rise to the top
0: there. And it just takes time. Yeah, only so much content in the day you can consume as an individual, and there's a lot of options to be yeah. So, yeah, pretty cool and, and cool to get Chris's take on that and, and really on his bow, um, you know, his archery kind of evolution there because that, that's something that I think you and I have talked about even on Chris's background. It's like, well, is he shooting pro now? Has he yeah. kind of let off of well, that? Well, and you could see, like, the weakness on our end, like, totally foreign to us.
2: Like, as much as we yeah. love to bow hunt, it's like, dude, the, I'm not. Like, I don't work on my own bow that much. Like, I can I make my own arrows,
0: you yeah. know,
2: but, like, you start talking about the, the different governing yeah. bodies of the
0: archery industry and, like, how those competitions are held. Like... I don't know anything about it. Well, we <laughs> talked about it before. Guys right. are like, when we, I think we were talking about our fixed versus um, uh-huh. expandables. And, you know, one of those things is around tuning the bow. And it's like, okay, I know i do some stuff. And they're like, they start talking about, you know, shimming cams and things like that. And it's like, whoa. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Shimming who? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know her. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, I, you know, I mean, and that's just because, you know, I grew up a bow hunter. I just grew up with a bow to kill a deer. Like obviously our our accuracy matters in that, but it wasn't like I was out there shooting competitions. Like I was trying to kill a
2: deer. It's like anything, you know, people just cling to different aspects of like you and I seem to have just, we really are
0: passionate about the land, Sure, you know? And I think, uh, and it all sets up. I mean, I want to be when that one shot a year or whatever happens, like I want to be freaking on point for it. 100%. Um yeah there there well there's just um you know
2: you have to be at a certain level with everything to be successful a general level of competency or understanding you know but there's different niches within you know any mm-hmm. uh any activity or whatever that people are like really hone in on yeah um you know
0: it's very cool, man. It's uh, it, There's a lot of different facets out there around bow hunting and archery, and uh, I think it's why a lot of people are super passionate about it because it, it takes a very deep dedication to both of that, you know, to and some mix of it together in order to be successful at it. I think, you know, not to point – that's why we come down sometimes on the crossbow side of things is just because we know how much goes into the preparation – from a uh, from a vertical bow to be accurate to capitalize on that one shot, and we take a lot of pride when we can make that shot. Like that's that's a archery skill that we are like super super proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not there on the other side. Yeah, it is funny to hear. Not that I was trapping him with the
2: question at all, but to hear Chris talk about like the at the um, tax shows and whatever. Yeah, it's like, it's like just think about yeah, it. Yeah, Why right. is that? And he's like yeah I think I don't know it'd be like frowned upon I was like why it's like because well, it's not really archery and it's like mm, <laughs> mm interesting, interesting. <laughs>
0: that's an interesting take do do we agree interesting yes cool uh well that'll do it for this episode of hunter podcast with Chris B uh 137 I believe is what I said we'll we'll go with that and uh, we'll catch you next week later it's seeing me <laughs>